the hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're gonna make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new, real-life stories of hope and triumph, told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... My name is Tony. Uh, my recovery date is November the 2nd of 1992. I was, uh, I was born, uh, as you could probably tell by my accent, I was born in the South. Uh, I was in, in Alabama uh, to two very loving, kind parents that uh, I jokingly said they did the best they could with what they had to work with. Uh, they just didn't have a whole lot of work to work with. Um, and so, you know, I always felt a little different. I don't know why, I just, I didn't feel at ease in my own skin. Uh, today, I'd probably, uh, today I would be diagnosed with some stuff that we diagnose kids with today, uh, ADHD and stuff like that. But back when I was a young child, they didn't know what that was. And so, uh, struggled in school because I had a hard time focusing and all. And, uh, but on October the 31st of uh, 1975, uh, I had my first drink of alcohol. And, and you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know you sh you're going to have a problem when you can remember the date and the day and the year that you had your first drink. Uh, I was 12 years old. Um, it was Halloween, so it's easy for me to trace back. But I had my first drink of alcohol when I was 12 years old, uh, and I loved it. And uh, the first time I drank alcohol, I got sick, uh, well I got drunk and I got sick and I passed out. And you know a normal person would say, I don't think I need to do that anymore. But when I woke up the next morning, I thought, that is good, can I get some more of it? And, and, and so, but that also made me feel better in my own skin. I felt like oh, I could breathe. And so, you know, at 12 years old, it's sort of hard to find alcohol or to get alcohol, but you can get it. Um, and so I started drinking alcohol, you know, when I could get it, uh, about, 12, about 13 or 14, uh, I started, you know, smoking marijuana, uh, which also helped with some other issues that were going on in my life, maybe breathe. And so then, then alcohol and drugs became a major part of my life at, at, in, in my early teens um, and, and caused a lot of problems in my family. <clears throat> Again, I was raised in the South, uh, which is the Bible Belt. And I was raised by two good parents that did not believe in drinking, and of course drugs was in. Uh, and so it caused a lot of uh, conflict within my own family. Uh, you, you know, we talk a lot about dysfunctional families, and, and uh, my family was dysfunctional uh, because I was in the family. You know, uh, I was sort of the straw that stirred the drink of dysfunction in my family. You know, I have a younger sister who is seven years younger than I am. Uh, she's never had a problem with alcohol and drugs. My parents never had a problem with alcohol and drugs. It was just me. And caused a lot of, you know, conflict within my family. Um, you know, I, I got through school. I was never a good student. Uh, and, and I think, again, it's ADHD, ADD, the stuff that we diagnose kids with today that we didn't know anything about in the, in the 70s. Uh, I'm older, so uh, the 70s is when I was in school. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, started experimenting with, with alcohol and, of course, drugs. Uh, I am an alcoholic and an addict. Uh, I also tell people a lot of times I was just a garbage can. You know, my question to you was, how much do you have? Can we get some more of it before we get started? 
because I know we're going we're gonna to need more. And, and so I rocked on as, as in my uh, disease of addiction. Uh, of course, about that time in the 80s, if, uh, cocaine became the, the drug of choice of the 80s and, and cocaine was everywhere. So, you know, I started experimenting with it and doing a lot of things. Um, I, I do not remember the 80s. The 80s were a blur for me. Uh, the only thing I, I really remember about the 80s that really just stand out as moments that I can remember is uh, I got uh, married and divorced twice in the 80s. Uh, and, I, and I remember being at a Rolling Stones concert with 150,000 people. That's all I remember in the 80s. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of times people talk about good times and, uh, you know, drinking and using and bad times. And, you know, I, I had some, I just had times. They were not good times, they were not bad times, they were just times when I was just drinking and using. Uh, and, and, and like I said, I, you know, I got married a couple of times, uh, did not last, you know, both of those marriages probably didn't add up to four years uh, because of my alcoholism, drug addiction was just bad. You know, I, I got, and, and I see this a lot with people, you know, I got in my mind that, yeah, I know I have a problem, uh, so maybe if I'll just get married and settle down, you know, and, and, and I put this lifestyle behind me, I, I'll be okay. The only problem is I did get married, but I never put the lifestyle behind me. I, I was an alcoholic and an addict, and, and it destroyed both of my marriages. Uh, I take full responsibility for that. Uh, you know, both of the young ladies that I married were fine ladies, and it, I take full responsibility for, for that. That was mine. And uh, so I rocked on, um, and... Uh, my my father uh, my father and I had a very rough uh, rocky relationship, but it's, I, I take again I take full responsibility for that because my father was a very good man, uh, and it was my lifestyle that I was lead and living you know and the things I was doing that we always was in conflict. Uh, he had been sick and we really didn't know what was going on with him, uh, but we found we we found out that he had lung cancer, and um, and so it was uh, you know this was in 1988. Um, and it, my father had lung cancer, and uh, so I, I was really, you know, to watch someone die from that is just terrible. It's a terrible disease. And, and so, uh, you, you know, one of the things that, that I'm not, you know, real proud of, but as my father was dying, uh, he was in the hospital dying, um, my mom would stay with him during the day, and I would stay at night at the hospital. And, and again, he's dying from lung cancer. And um, they would come, the nurses would come in at night to give him his shot, you know, because he was in a lot of pain and all that. And so when I knew that he was comfortable and he was asleep, uh, the hospital that uh, he was in, and actually the hospital I was born in, uh, there's a park right across the street from, from the hospital. And so, you know, they would come in and get my dad comfortable from, you know, uh, the medication because, you know, he's dying cancer and I would I would go out the back door of the hospital in, in the middle of the night or whenever I could and I would go over to that park and, and I would find the deepest darkest part of that park that I could find for me to do what I needed to do with you know the alcohol and the drugs in order to stay there and then I would go back to the hospital and I would do that you know and, and it's just full my disease of addiction had taken me uh, my, you know, my father passed away in 1988, um, 
and 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 in my my life uh, I wasn't married at the time we got a divorce about that time too um, and uh, so my life just from 1988 from 1992 was just real crazy uh, uh, just uh, just chaotic uh, a lot of just lifestyle stuff uh, you know I've, I've, there, there was times just put myself in some very dangerous situations you know because of my addiction uh, and it, it really got out of hand. Uh, my mother, um, I didn't go around my mother and my sister a lot because of the lifestyle that I was living. I just didn't want to, you know, uh, expose them to that. So I didn't, and there was times, we're talking 1988 to 1992, you know, nobody knew what a cell phone was, you know. And so there was times that I would just disappear for like months, and my, my mom didn't know if I was alive or if I was dead. There was no communication because, you know, you, you, you didn't, then it was pay phones. And so I, I would, you know, show up every couple of months and let her know or whatever, but I, I you know, just some crazy lifestyle. And I um, had, had been arrested a few times, and I had gotten into, uh, I'd gotten pulled over. By this time, uh, I live in the state of Alabama, and by this time, the state of Alabama had revoked my driver's license. Uh, and um, so I, I, I no longer had driver's license. And, uh, but I got pulled over one night and uh, I was charged with a laundry list of things, driving you know, under the influence, driving with no license, you know, just uh, two or three felony drug charges, just a lot of stuff. Uh, and so I, I, was in, I was in jail and uh, I, I, I joke a lot and say I, did my, I always did my best thinking in jail. Uh, and so I, I was sitting in jail, coming up with a plan on how to get out of jail and what I needed to do to get out of jail and, and what I needed to do before I went to court. And so, um, I, I, you know, I got out of jail and, and I, got, I got involved in an outpatient program. I uh, was never honest with those people on how much I was using, how often I was using. Uh, and, and so, but in that outpatient program, it was suggested I start attending 12-step meetings. Uh, and, and so I started attending 12-step meetings, you know, to get my card signed, and, and, uh, and I would go in there most of the time under the influence. Uh, I never disrupted a meeting, but I was high most of the time I went to a meeting. Uh, but what happened was I started listening to those people. Even, even being under the influence, I started listening, and, and you know, the, I, I was seeing the life that they were living and the life I was living, and, uh, and I really think I, you know, I wanted some change, and I will tell you that uh, about this time was probably the most lonely times of my life. Uh, I'd isolated from everyone. Um, I lived in a house, uh, but I actually what it was is I lived in one room in that house, and, and I only came out to go get what I needed, and I'd come back, and I was very uh, lonely and isolated, very lonely and isolated. And, and I, I feel that when our disease has us lonely and isolated, it's got us right where it wants us. And, and so I you know, had, didn't have a whole lot of uh, communication with the outside world. It was just get what you need and get back and do what you need to do. Um, and, and so I, I started doing that. And, and, and then I realized that maybe I do have a problem. Maybe I do have a problem. Um, and, and so I, I decided I was just going to stop doing everything I was doing. You know, I'm just going to stop. And, and I didn't realize at the time that the amounts of stuff that I was using, the alcohol and the drugs and, and the combination, you don't, you do not just stop. That's, that's very dangerous. Uh, and so about 48 hours into my self-imposed detox, 
uh, there was some stuff started happening. Uh, I started hallucinating, uh, coming off the drugs, and and uh, was seeing things and hearing stuff, and it just it got real crazy. Um, and so, uh, you know, my, my my mother got involved. She uh, she took me um, she took me to her house, and and it was late into Sunday morning, uh, late into Sunday night, into Sunday morning, and then Monday morning she started calling treatment centers to try to get me some help. And uh, so she started calling treatment centers. She took me to one, uh, and and my mother, my mother paid for me to go to treatment, and you know, and, and I'm forever grateful for that. My, my mother paid for me to go to treatment, and through the course of the treatment, they would say, you know, you really need some long-term treatment. You, you know, um, and and so I started attending, you know, uh, or I started going to treatment, and then I got out of treatment. I started going to 12-step meetings, really wanting to change my life, you know. And, and I knew things needed to change, uh, and, and so I, that, I went into treatment on November the 2nd of 1992. That's my sobriety date. Uh, I've not had any uh, alcohol or mood altering chemicals since November the 2nd of 1992, uh, and so I'm uh, very grateful for that. But, and so my life started getting better. I started going to meetings. I started doing what I needed to do for my recovery, uh, and I started working on my recovery. And, um, and, and, and things were good. I was about three years into my recovery and a young lady came into uh, to the program and uh, so and we became friends um, and, and what happened was on uh, August 29th of 1996 she and I got married and we've been together for 20 years. Yeah, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. She, yeah, she, she is also in recovery uh, so that's a, that's a benefit, you know, we're both in recovery, we're walking this path together. Uh, but the beauty of that is she has her recovery and she goes to her meetings and I have my recovery and I go to my meetings. You know, we, we recovered together as a couple, but we also, and, and you know, there's a couple of times where we, we may go to a meeting together, but we ha each one of us have our own recovery, you know. And I think that's important with cu couples that are in recovery is that you have your own recovery. And, and you know, and so uh, we just celebrated 20 years of, of marriage and it's been great. Um, I got into uh, working in the addiction field and uh, I love it. I love helping people, I love giving back. Uh, it's, it's just been a remarkable, uh, it's been a remarkable journey. And you know, like I said, my wife and I are very fortunate, we've been blessed. You know, one of the things that, that I always try to include is that uh, my mother, I know when I was out there and it was times when my mom did not see me for, for months at a time, I know my mother and I know my mother prayed for me every night. You know, I know she did. And, and, and the beauty of that is that my mom, uh, for the last 20 years, has had, or, or coming up on 24 years, the last 24 years, my mom's had a sober son. And, and so my mom's got to see that. And I've been able to, to do things for my mother that's, that's been a remarkable, you know, to see that. And, and it's just very grateful. You know, I, I love recovery. I love the opportunities recovery gives you. And uh, very grateful to be uh, in recovery. Here's the thing. Give treatment a try. Give recovery a try. Misery is a, it's, it's waiting on you. You can go back to it. It's not going anywhere. Uh, alcohol and drugs will always be around. Try recovery, you know, and, and see, and that way you can see how much better life is. Uh, 
in in you know 24 years of being in recovery, I've seen a lot of people relapse, unfortunately, and and I've seen a lot of people die from relapse, and I've never seen anybody come back into treatment or come back into a 12-step program and say, you know what, I relapsed a year ago, my life is great. I've got this wonderful job. I got all this money in the bank. Everything's just great. I just thought I'd come by to say hello. Nobody's ever done that. Uh, they've come back and said, you know, my wife left me. I lost my job. I, I got legal charges now. You know, so no one's ever come back and said it was great after a relapse. So give it a try. You know, what do you have to lose? Um, alcohol and drugs are always going to be around. Try recovery because I promise you you're going to like it.